Amazing. Here we find ourselves in a very interesting passage in the midst of our I Am series in which, uh, more broadly, um, we are exploring, exploring Jesus and all of his nuance and all of his majesty and hopefully in all of his surprise. And so we are going to find Jesus in a circumstance um uh, and in a situation and maybe even acting in a way that uh, will definitely surprise us. And we may even struggle with how Jesus acts here. Um, and, uh, and definitely as Canadians, this is not a situation that we are familiar with or comfortable with at all. And we really struggle with how to navigate these types of situations um, and even how we think of people who act like how Jesus acts here. Um, but more broadly, my thesis here is that uh, the I am is heartbroken and we know that, but we know that in a certain context when we think of people who need healing or people who are being oppressed. But in this situation, I would like to purport to you that the I am is heartbroken over even the oppressors. The people who have navigated to the top of the hierarchical systems that have been oppressing people. Uh, the systems have been corrupted and co-opted. Um, they've been, th these, these systems ha have allured people and subjugated them, therefore, to this strange type of obsession to, towards power and religiosity. And God even is heartbroken and deeply loves those people. But what we should be surprised by is the strategy or the method in which Jesus employs here to bring about their repentance so they can find freedom as well. Okay. Um, see, they've, they've started to slowly twist piety, faith, slowly twist holiness, devotion, right? It's, um, the core essence now is being masked. Something that is supposed to be beautiful is now an incredible burden. Something that's supposed to bring life is now actually bringing death, right? Um, another way to explain the situation and the people that Jesus is dealing with is that they just have a really low self-awareness, really low self-awareness kind of like Michael Scott from the office like think about the least self-aware person you know like Michael Scott is the epitome of the least self-aware person right and he's in a position of power and he doesn't realize what, how uh, his mode of operating is creating a very toxic work environment. I know there's some Office fans out there. Uh, I don't watch a lot of comedy, but I hear it's a good show. I've watched a few episodes. So there you go. That's one for all you Office fans out there. Um, <clears throat> so uh, here's, here's another way to put this. When we don't have self-awareness, we miss the narrow path because we don't realize that the one degree off of the path, it seems subtle and it seems like we're still on the path in the moment, but we don't realize after years of traveling one degree off, how far away we can actually be over time, 
right? Um, This is the one degree off comes from subtle changes in your heart, right? Thankfully, there's a way back, and that's the path of death and resurrection, the path of becoming something entirely new. And so let's watch Jesus as he navigates this really intense situation and uh, um, in which probably most of us would would deal horribly with and we would definitely fail. Um, and so let's walk through it. We're going to walk through this passage twice for, with two different lenses. One to just get an idea of where we're at and I'm going to give some basic Uh, thoughts and questions. And then we're going to walk through it really intently, really asking the question, um, God, what is my heart? Help me, help me decipher where I'm at, right? Do I have a kingdom heart, kingdom life? Or do I have a a Pharisee heart or Pharisee life? Um, And as we'll see in the passage, those are the main antagonists in this passage here. Okay. Um, So here we are in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined a table. Pretty cool, right? You get invited to a religious leader's home. You feel honored. You feel valued. Um, You get, you know, probably to eat some good food too. Uh, And for all you students out there, it's probably free. Good on that. Um, In verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not, that he being Jesus, did not first wash before dinner. Interesting thought, right? It's like, oh, he didn't wash your hands. What's with that guy? You know? Um, And we could parse out exactly why culturally that was a thing, but it's more of a ceremonial washing. Like even certain sects of the, the people of the day thought, right, that like literally a demon could get on your hands. And then as you touch your food and put it in your mouth, the demon would enter and gain access into your body. Right. So anyway, so not to get too bogged down in those types of details, um, but this is what he is essentially getting uh, getting in a in a furrow about. Right. Uh, the Pharisee. Uh, verse 39, and the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, this is getting, this is where it gets intense. You cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> somebody just invited Jesus to their house and he calls them greedy and wicked and dirty on the inside. Very interesting. Like, does that just make your Canadian tendencies like just you're just boiling on the inside? You're just like, oh, my, like everything awkward, right? Like you do not know how to handle this situation. Verse 40, it gets worse, right? He says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also, right? So it's like, hey, you just have no self-awareness. You don't realize what you're doing or what you're talking about. But give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. It's like, it's like, oh, like you, you missed the mark, right? Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. It's like, hey, man, you even tithe out of your spice rack. Like you're so good at religious tradition. But the main point is loving God and loving your neighbor. Right. Love God. And justice, that's to see your neighbor loved well. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's like, 
hey, the, the first thing comes first, all the other things will come as well, right? But don't get them out of order. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Just a little culture, uh, uh, commentary on this, right? So uh, graves touching dead bodies, all that kind of stuff would make somebody unclean in that day. And, uh, <clears throat> and so this is like you make people unclean and they don't even get a chance to avoid it right? It's like you're an unmarked grave. Um, and then one of the lawyers answered him, uh, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. It's like, I'm offended. That wasn't very nice. I don't like your tone, right? It's like, dude, you literally can't take responsibility for your part to play in this issue. Rather, you're more focused on Jesus and his tone and his approach to dealing with this issue. It's like, you don't get to choose how, how this comes to you, right? It's like, this is your reality. And don't focus on how Jesus is doing it. Think inwardly, right? Um, don't worry about offense. Worry about your part to play and your responsibility. Verse, uh, 46. And he said, right? So most of you think like, oh yeah, he got offended. Okay. We should backpedal. Let's change the tone a little bit, maybe apologize and, uh, and, and kind of take a different approach. No, no. <laughs> Woe to you lawyers. Also, everything Canadian, you just died. Right? if this was you, you know, in, in this moment at this dinner table, <clears throat> Um, for you load, this is Jesus continuing to talk for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Like, wow, they're just hypocrites. You know, they, uh, they tell people what to do, but they don't do it. Can I just say a note on that real quick? Like, um, your leaders at Trinity Life love you. Um, we love them and I can, pretty much guarantee they will not ask you to do something that they are not uh, if uh, totally willing to do themselves, if not have already done themselves many times for years. And so I'm very thankful for the leaders that we have at Trinity Life. And may you in your uh, uh, journey to become a disciple maker, um, may you also have that heart where um, you avoid hypocrisy and invite people to follow you as you follow Jesus and, and just avoid that scenario being a lawyer at all. Uh, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Okay, really intense, right? Really intense. Um, I was like, literally, I'm going to, I'm going to send you wisdom. I'm going to send you a corrective voice all throughout history from a, it starts with Abel, right? Who, uh, who put out an offering to God that was accepted, right? So that's our first example. And then 
the Hebrew canon ends with Second Chronicles. And that's what, so basically that's what he's saying, right? Is from the beginning of the scripture to the ends of the scripture, there have been prophets all along that have been sent to be the corrective voice of God in the community to keep you on the path, but you murdered them, right? Uh, the, the story of Zechariah specifically being um, where there was uh, a king who spent all this time uh, reforming the community, the people of God, bringing, back the, bringing them back to covenant faithfulness, and then he dies. And very quickly, the community is astray. They're, they're chasing after idols again, and it's, and it's the, the next generation of leaders under them who totally take them off in this direction. And the, the new king um, is, is empowering this movement, and, uh, and, and God's he, so uh, Zechariah like says this, why are you doing it? You won't prosper. You won't prosper if you worship other idols. Like, no, like worship God and things will go well for you, right? Um, but these people are like, no, things will go better for us if we worship these false gods. And so why don't we murder you? And, uh, and then God says, hey, judgment's coming, right? Judgment's coming. And he allows another nation to defeat them with a vastly inferior uh, fighting force, right? They show up with a smaller army, they defeat uh, uh, Israel's bigger army, and uh, and they kill all those princes. That, that's the title in, in my translation of the scripture for the leaders of the community at that time who were leading those people astray. The princes, they just murder all of them. They wound the new king, uh, and then the servants of that king, and then they leave. And the servants of that king uh, finish the job that they started, right? Um, and so, not good, right? Not not good. So so that's the ending of the story, right? For in the in the Hebrew canon is like covenant faithfulness. Come back, come back. Don't worship other gods. And it's the people of God saying, "Nah, let's murder that voice." Right. So that's what he's saying. That voice in the community's been there, and you've you've shut it down. Um, Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. Okay, so they literally had the key and didn't open the door with it. It's like they had the scriptures, they knew the, vo- the corrective voice, the prophetic voice, God's voice and uh, into, into the community to bring about the redemptive community and, and maintain covenant faithfulness. They had the key, they knew what to do, but they didn't even open the door with it. And they prevented other people from opening the door and stepping in. Like It's like they couldn't even just suffer the consequences themselves. They had to spread this to all sorts of other people. Um, You hindered those who were entering. Wow. Intense. Like you're if you're Canadian um, and you like and you're in this kind of nice, polite Canadian culture, you're literally a puddle on the floor at this point. Um, And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard to provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say, right? So they're so, they're so riled up that they just start nitpicking everything 
It's like they, they're just red and they see Jesus in one way and they can't see him any other way anymore because, uh, because of this scenario. And they're tra- trying to trap him in situations, right? You have a bad tone. You're prideful, they probably say of Jesus. You're sinning against us. And, now, and, and there's no way I can ever forgive you or hear you or, or hear the things you're saying or take your opinion anymore. We're literally going to try and trap you in this and have you ousted from your position of authority and leadership in the this community that you are forming and is gathering around you. Wow. Okay. So uh, let's just take one minute real quick and, uh, and, and just talk uh, amongst yourselves for one minute. We'll put a timer on the screen. Uh, Discuss the primary emotion that you think Jesus has towards the Pharisees and lawyers at this point. Right? And if you're having trouble figuring it out, deciphering it for Jesus, maybe say how you would be feeling and what primary emotion or motivation would be driving you to say the things that Jesus is saying. So take one minute and do that in your groups right now. Welcome back. So what were some of those answers? Maybe you said anger, maybe you said frustration, right? What are some other ones? Um, what about like he was sad for them? Did anyone say, I think he really loved them and he was maybe acting this way out of love. I purport to you that that's his primary motivating motivating emotion that is his primary motivating emotion otherwise we have to say jesus is not loving right i think we just we can we can start to be surprised by jesus's myriad uh like the myriad of possibilities that that jesus shows us in how we can conduct ourselves as people primarily motivated by love for a broken and fallen world would you say he acted harsh? Was he harsh with them? See, harshness doesn't override love and doesn't mean pride. Sometimes he has to speak this way because he loves, because he wants more for a people. It's really, it's, it's very interesting for me. Uh, I didn't grow up in church. I radically met Jesus 10 years ago, almost immediately after he told me to come back to Toronto and plant a church. And so um, uh, this desire to see a 
community of faith arise and experience the things that I was experiencing as I journeyed through the scriptures and as I uh, was hearing God's voice and seeking to obey it, my desire to see people live in the fullness of the kingdom um, started to grow really early on. It's probably what, what, uh, like what, how God was shaping my heart and what brought out the evangelistic uh, spiritual gift in me very early, which is why people are like, oh, Adam, you're very evangelistic, right? It's like, yeah, that like God had been growing in that in me from day one. Um, and I'm starting to grow much more in the apostolic gifting, which is to set a vision for that community to go and reach lost people. It's generally like an apostolic uh, evangelist, that's where we, you probably feel that, right? Like we love people. We want them to experience the fullness of the kingdom. I can see what the future looks like right there. Let's head into that. And if we head into that, oh, how much people uh, could be saved, right? So um, so this desire is, is, is like a burning passion for me. And so when I see people that say they're a kingdom citizen, um, but aren't living in the fullness of that, even myself, like I'm really intense on myself uh, because I want to experience the fullness of the kingdom. Um, it, it, it breaks my heart, right? When, when people who say they're following Jesus really just chase the world economy, um, it, 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 it breaks my heart. It makes me sad. Right. And I, and I just want to bust in there like Jesus and break them out of it. Right. Um, that's why I get this reputation for being a little bit brash, a little bit rough around the edges. Right. Is because I'm, I'm very intense and zealous for that desire, you know? Um, and, uh, and so <clears throat> like there was a couple of key moments, like one time I was talking to this guy and I was asking him questions. I just discovered the scriptures. I'd read the entire new Testament in three weeks. And I was kind of talking to these guys who were a little younger, um, but they grew up in church, you know, and at, at this church in Australia that I was going to, it was like, Hey man, like, like I just read the whole new Testament is literally changing my life. I feel like God's speaking to me on every page. Like, have you read this whole thing? Like, it's a lot, you know? Um, and like, I don't even know if I can handle the spiritual download. Like so much has already happened in the new Testament. Imagine I read the whole old Testament too. And the guy's like, you know, I've been a Christian for 18 years and I've never read the whole thing. And my heart just immediately, it was like, Whoa. it just dropped. I was like, Whoa, how is that possible? This is the very words of life. Like my relationship to this book is obviously so different from yours. Why is that? Why is that? It, it, it didn't make sense to me. I remember another conversation uh, with a good friend of mine. He was a bank manager at the time. He's maybe 10, 15 years older than me. Um, I was about 24, 25. And, uh, and he, he was telling me, and I was like, you know, talking about relationships. He was a single guy. He, he'd resolved to be single until he found someone he felt God wanted him to be with. Um, and he was and he was pointing out, you know, some of the couples in the church said, hey, you know, Adam, since you're now wrestling through relationship and you made some horrible mistakes um, and I guarantee you, I made some horrible mistakes and uh, of which the Lord had to deal with me on. And thankfully, Jesus uh, has forgiven me of those things on the cross, just like he forgiveness is yours on the cross as well. Um, but, uh, so I was working with him on this stuff and talking to him about it, sharing my heart. And he said, you know, 95% of the couples in this church slept together before they got married. And I was like, Whoa, 
again, my heart just saying, it's like, that's not the way, right? That's not the narrow path. That's not how our team is supposed to operate, right? And not in a condemning way, just a, why have we missed it? And what level of self-awareness were we missing that made us get so far away from it, right? Um, So this desire to see uh, the community develop around faithfulness and to live in the fullness of what is offered to see thriving and life come about just started to develop really early on in my journey of faith. Uh, I found myself leading a small group within months of meeting Jesus, just like some random Swedish party girls who were my roommates at the time, some kind of just like you know, apathetic kind of nominal Christians that we'd met there. Uh, some, some good friends of mine who were at the church we're going to, who I was like, guys, we need to surf just a little bit less because I actually really like surfing. And we need to like dig into this a little bit more, more than we have been. You know, I was like, you guys were supposed to be getting me into this thing. And so, but you weren't. So I guess I'll get us into this thing, right? So I was leading this small group and amazing things were happening. I remember the first night literally being like, what is going on? And this, this girl's confessing stuff and we're praying over her. And these non-Christians are like, whoa, asking all these questions, really intense, right? Um, and that set the tone and trajectory for me. And, uh, and so I, I want thriving for people, right? And this particular passage here is, is tough to deal with because it gets into very nuanced issues of the heart, very nuanced issues of the heart. Um, and it talks about it in a primarily negative way, right? So in the context of this passage, right? That all the things that are going wrong, and, so I'm gonna, and it presents the Pharisee heart very well. And so I'm going to try to, we're going to go through the passage again, and I'm going to present now the kingdom heart and the Pharisee hearts together in each verse that I see here to help give us a rubric for um, the spirit to use to convict you or encourage you in one way or the other, okay? Um, All right, so remember, that's the key. And, And I hope your posture for the next little while now is, God, do I have a kingdom heart or God, do I have a Pharisee heart? And uh, right before we do this passage, just to remind you, the context of this uh, passage in Luke here is in the midst of intense spiritual warfare. So the beginning of the passage, Jesus is teaching them how to pray. Okay? And he's correcting their idea of how God interacts with them in conversation. Um, and, and, he, and he recorrects their idea of the father's character. And then he goes and casts out a demon. And then he's accused of using the power of Satan to cast out that demon. Okay. Um, then the Pharisee, uh, then the demons return, right? Or it talks about unclean spirits can return, right? Um, and then the crowd says, give us more signs. It's like, you still need more signs? Like, after all that I've done, healing, casting out demons, teaching about the kingdom, like all the stuff that's been going on, and they still need more signs. It's very strange. You would say, certainly, that this is intense spiritual warfare as as Jesus is is bringing about this new community, right? Um, Okay, And, and, 
Also, as we go through this rubric, you may not consider yourself a legalist or fundamentalist or Pharisee in the traditional sense and how we talk about these things or how it's popularly talked about these things. Um, um, but I, I still want you to listen carefully to how I present the heart of the Pharisee and just ask the Lord, is that me? Um, and if it's not, amen, be happy, be satisfied, be rejoicing, right? Okay, so here we are, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. Okay, so the kingdom life, kingdom heart, is one of adventure, where you find yourself in the most unexpected places, hosted by the most unexpected people. It's amazing. The Pharisee life is a little more static. It only uses relationship to satisfy their own desires, and their own righteousness. Do you find yourself in unexpected places with the opportunity to love unexpected people? Or do you tend to stick around the same crowd? Kingdom heart versus Pharisee heart. Okay, remember, this is just a rubric, and this is just one out of many, okay? So just because, you know, you, you don't... Um, go to someone's house every week for dinner. It doesn't mean you're immediately a Pharisee, but this is just helping you discern. Okay. Verse 38. Um, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Okay. Here's the kingdom life. You're excited by the uniqueness of individuals. You ask them questions because you genuinely want to share. Uh, you genuinely want to know them and you really want them to share about who they are so that you can know them. Diversity excites you. Creative people are attractive to you and you get to be creative and unique yourself, breaking social convention to show somebody the beauty of the kingdom. Okay, the Pharisee heart here. You're surprised when people break your social customs Social customs you thought were good and polite, and maybe even if you grew up in the church, holy, but they're not. For a secular person, the Pharisee heart goes, it just goes against, uh, the Pharisee heart goes against the dominant, uh, goes with the dominant ideology and social convention. And anything that strays from that, it very much dislikes. So ask yourself, what do you think of somebody who acts in a way you don't expect, right? What are your first thoughts of that person? Are they rude, invasive, disrespectful? There's just some questions to help diagnose that. Um, okay. Uh, <clears throat> verse 39. Let's see here. And the Lord said to them, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and Wickedness. Here's the kingdom heart behind this. The kingdom life, kingdom heart understands that there is more uh, than what they see with their eyes. It embraces a world of possibility that goes beyond normal perception and it looks towards the things that are unseen and the things that are hoped for deep inside. Pharisee heart here. You want to look good to the world, but lack inward depth or self-awareness. Your sin is contained to inconsequential actions and not true, robust self-awareness. How are you doing in your faith? When was the last major life decision you made because God told you to go do something? 
When was the last time you were strongly considering quitting your job for the sake of the kingdom? When was the last time you were strongly considering giving away all your possessions? Right? We lack that inward depth, constant self-reflection, constant self-awareness. <clears throat> um, if your plan has looked like this so far, your life plan, go to school, get a job, find a partner, have kids, and you found a way to attach church in there somehow, this life is not kingdom compatible. It looks good on the outside of the cup, but you can follow that life plan and have no relationship with God and still go to church. Do you have a kingdom heart or a Pharisee heart? Okay, verse 39, same verse. Here's two, a different way to look at this. A kingdom heart here is humble and works out their salvation with fear and trembling. It can accept others as equals and sees the image of God in them. It has high levels of self-awareness um, as they walk towards Jesus. Here's the Pharisee heart here. You don't really recognize your inward heart. You would call yourself a good person. You would think you are nice. You don't realize that you are a hair's length away from full-blown greed or wickedness. Or you're that one degree off, just a little bit greedy and a little bit wicked and selfish. But it's only noticeable 10 years down the road. Um, verse 40, you fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Okay. Here's the kingdom heart here. You're open to dynamic relationship with God. Like flowing water, it brings life, nourishing. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It knows its place in the relationship and in the community, and it seeks to fulfill that role. The Pharisee heart you don't realize the connection between your life, your heart, and the spiritual implications of it. Here's another way to think about this verse. You are bold and able to speak the truth at the right times for the right effect, hoping that the seeds planted land in good soil and trust that the Holy Spirit will bring to completion the work that was begun. When was the last time you called somebody a fool? Oh, you're too nice. You're too good person for that, right? <laughs> I love you. Uh, the Pharisee heart here. Leverages moments of intensity for their own sake and not for the sake of repentance of others. We know Jesus is motivated by that, right? The scripture tells us that God's desire is that all would reach repentance. <clears throat> okay, verse 41. But give his alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. Kingdom heart here. You have, the, you have the possibility to know and understand your inner self more than you ever have been able to. Right? Proverbs 20 verse 5 says um, that the desires of a man's heart are like deep waters and a man of understanding will draw it out. And that's Jesus, right? <clears throat> but the Pharisee heart here is you've slowly, slowly been sacrificing time with Jesus and opportunity for sanctification in order to gain what the world has to offer. 
Verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Kingdom heart here, loving God and loving your neighbor reigns supreme in your life. Mission and discipleship is the priority so that all can enter into the eternal purposes of God. But the Pharisee heart here is certain religious practices take priority and greater bandwidth in the, in this, the, the rhythm of your community um, more than the core essence of the Trinitarian lifestyle and the one another lifestyle. Well, those are one and the same. <clears throat> Some more woes. You love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, right? The kingdom heart here is... You have the opportunity to serve the lowly, but the Pharisee heart is just like being at the concert, just like saying you went to the latest Bethel show, that you're all in the up and up on all the latest Christian celebrity pastor stuff and the latest top 40 Christian music. Verse 44, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Um, the kingdom life here, the kingdom opportunity is instead of making people dirty, you get to make people clean. Your desire is to visibly project yourself to, in a way to the world in which when people come around you, they are made more holy. The Pharisee heart here is that you lead others into uncleanness. They don't even know it and you don't even know it. Verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. The kingdom here, kingdom heart here is you don't have expectations of people, right? You assume the best. Um, you're, You're happier being faithful yourself than worrying about if the other person is being faithful or not. And you take on what people have to say, but the Pharisee heart is you have totally unrealistic expectations of others that you don't even live up to. You're easily offended and you'd rather be a victim. Verse 47. Woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. My apologies, I skipped a couple verses. Uh, verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, yeah, you insult us also. Yeah, that's the victim card. You play the victim card when someone calls you out on your sin. Aha, you address their tone rather than take responsibility for what you did. I didn't like the way you said that. It's like, as opposed to, oh, you're right. I do focus on the outward appearance. I have neglected justice. I don't like your tone. You need, a, you need to fix the way you lead or else everything you said doesn't matter. Right? Verse 46 was, <clears throat> uh, Woe to you lawyers also for you load people with burdens hard to bear. Yeah. Um, you don't have expectations of other people. And you have unrealistic expectations of everyone and you don't live up to them. Verse 47, woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. 
<clears throat> Kingdom heart here. You're excited to pioneer new beginnings, uh, to go on the creative mission of being fruitful and multiplying. That's the mandate given in Genesis. You like to bring new things into the world so that our old systems cannot withstand the beautiful thing that is emerging, emerging in the community and in your life. The Pharisee heart here is you pretend to be pious. However, you maintain the religious systems that have neglected the corrective voice of God and the spirit uh, the Holy Spirit that is active in reforming the community around faithfulness and zeal, right? This is what happened with Zechariah. He comes on, he's bringing the prophetic voice. It literally says he's full of the Spirit. And they're like, no. Uh, verse 48 to 51. <clears throat> so that's one of the ones. Uh, it's all about the prophets. We sent them. You killed them. Zechariah, Abel. Uh, they literally murdered him in the church building. Um, yes, I tell you, it would be required of all generations. Okay. Um, the kingdom heart here. You're constantly searching for God's voice in every situation. Um, you're excited for the new possibilities that come when the great I am speaks new life into existence, right? That's the prophetic voice. You're open to what is required when the mission, either specific or general, is revealed. And you get to stand blameless before the Father, accepting grace for the mistakes you've made along the way. But the Pharisee heart here, you want to maintain the status quo. You want to maintain the religious routine. You want to replace the spirit of life for that religious routine. You, you have apathy towards majesty and wonder. And sometimes it sets in very slowly. And when the prophetic voice of the kingdom comes into your life, you'd rather shut it down, murder it in the church building, than slow down, listen to it. Just look at our culture, like look at YouTube comments or Facebook discussion on politics. Look at your own life, how you treat people. They think differently about vaccines or whatever it is, right? And the Pharisee, rather than standing blameless before the father, like the kingdom heart, stands guilty before the father. Guilty as charged, having already been warned all along the way by your community, whether implicitly or explicitly. Verse 52, woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge for you did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who are entering. The kingdom heart here, you want to bring others into new life. You are helping other people hear God's voice. You desire transformation and you've dedicated your life to making disciples who can thrive and also make disciples. But the Pharisee heart here is, You've entrenched yourself so deeply in other people's opinions or in your religious routine, and you've pushed those people subtly to adapt your shallow religious systems in order to justify your own adherence to something maybe at one point you called faith. Verse 53 as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. 
kingdom heart here. You are hopeful and forgiving. You extend grace and you put someone's sin as far as the east is from the west. Your life shows you're totally free to love and that you're not bound by convention or expectations. But the Pharisee heart there, you want to trap someone. You want them to fail. You would like it if they failed. It would satisfy something in you. You never let go of an issue, really. You're just waiting for the next time it comes up to bring it up again, over and over. It constantly argues. It presses the same issues. It always brings them up over and over again. And you even might go so far as creating scenarios intentionally designed to trap somebody and see them fail. Oh yeah, if you believe this, then that means you believe this too. Not always the case. Okay, that was a lot. Every verse had something to teach us about the kingdom or a Pharisee heart. And if you are maybe leaning towards, oh, I might have a Pharisee heart, I want to give you some hope. We know and we can confirm that this is indeed Jesus loving the Pharisees because in Acts chapter 6, the religious rites, the Pharisees, the priests, the lawyers, all that, they start to shift. They start to become, what does it say? obedient to the faith a great many priests that's amazing not just accept it not just mentally assent to it not just attend the faith gatherings of this new community but they started becoming obedient to the faith they died to their old ways they let go of the old religious orders and systems that gave them power and prominence and satisfaction they gained self-awareness and realized the incongruence of how they were acting and the true economy of the kingdom of God. This situation emerges um, because there's actually racism in this new community. And, it's, and, and the community navigates this conflict really well. They establish new leaders. They, they prop up those who are, um, who are suffering as a result. And it's probable I would like to purport this to you. It's probable that because they navigated this conflict in such a beautiful way, right? It's not about the absence of conflict, but what do you do with it when it comes around? It's probable that because they navigated this conflict inside the community and came through it and listened to the corrective spirit of reconciliation, that the priests were amazed. It showed them that the power of God was alive in that community. It's probable even too that the seeds that Jesus sowed in this conversation with those people sprouted and bloomed because of the witness, the amazing community formed and led by the Holy Spirit. And so if you found yourself saying, I might have a Pharisee heart. I want to invite you to change the way you think, to repent, to receive God's grace. He loves you just like Jesus loves them. We can excise this Pharisee heart from us and receive a heart of flesh 
we can become more like the heartbroken I am every single day. And I bless you with that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.